A-B-A Resort. West Kylan Hino. Hey everybody, it's Kylan here from ABA Wizard. Uh, today we have Dr. Catalina Ray with us to talk about her recent article published in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis. Uh, now, have you ever wondered how do DRO procedures work? Are we actually reinforcing other behavior or is there something else going on here? These are the questions we're going to discuss with Dr. Ray today as she joins us on this episode. Uh, so first, let me give you some background information on Dr. Catalina Ray. Uh, she has been in the field of behavior analysis for quite some time. Uh, she received her PhD in behavior analysis from Florida Institute of Technology, and she completed a postdoctoral fellowship at Kennedy Krieger Institute and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Uh, she currently is a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Vermont and Vermont Center of Behavior and Health. Now, this August, she is starting something exciting. Uh, she is going to be an assistant professor at the University of Nebraska Medical Center and Monroe Meyer Institute. So, Dr. Ray, thank you for joining us on today's episode. Thank you so much for having me. The article that we're going to be talking about today, uh, Dr. Ray uh, just published this in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis. It's titled, Adventitious Reinforcement During Long-Duration DRO Exposure. One of the first things I wanted to talk to you about was just kind of what were you looking at when you were uh, starting this study? What was your research question? And what was your uh, interest in this topic? Is this kind of a, an area that you focused a lot of your research on? Yeah. Um, so I've actually been interested in DROs for quite some time now. I think it um, stems more from a conceptual curiosity. Um, so I find them conceptually intriguing because the DRO is really unlike any other differential reinforcement procedure. All the other differential reinforcement procedures um, decrease problem behavior by minimizing the, the reinforcement for the problem behavior and then differentially reinforcing some response or some response characteristics. So all of the reinforcement in most of these procedures is dependent upon the occurrence of a response. And in DRO schedules, it's the opposite. The reinforcer isn't contingent on a specific response. Instead, it's contingent on the absence of a response. Which, which is fascinating because, like, I, I remember the first time I thought about this, uh, you know, when I was going through grad school, I didn't really, like, I didn't try to conceptualize very much, like, uh, why this worked. But I remember uh, having a conversation with a colleague a while ago about, you know, what makes a DRO work because you're, is it really reinforcement because... You're not really providing reinforcement contingent on a specific behavior. You're reinforcing the absence of behavior. Uh, and so why does it work? You know, right. uh, so I, I definitely get your interest in that. So um, like what was your research question going into this specific study with it? So when I first started thinking about this topic, um, I, I also thought about it like you did, right? So like what makes this DRO work? And I thought about the contingency and what it looked like. And this was you know, this was years ago when I was still doing my master's and I thought, geez, like 
this year is scheduled release looks more like a punishment contingency because, you know, every time you engage in the response, it delays the reimborser, right? So you're like, there's like a cost. So there's a response cost to engaging in a response. Like it, it, continue, it delays the reinforcer or like you lose the opportunity to access this reinforcer. And I call them reinforcers, even though, you know, we both understand that they may not be reinforcing anything. Um, yeah. But, and so I, I decided that I was going to, I thought that I had discovered this new type of negative punishment at the time. Um, yeah. I was like, wow, this is exactly like, an avoidance, like negative reinforcement, you can separate it into two categories. You have escape and an avoidance. In escape, you have an appetitive stimulus, I mean, an aversive stimulus, and contingent on a response, you escape it, you remove it, you get some relief. Yeah. And in avoidance, you there is no aversive stimulus yet, right? But it's coming. There's like something that indicates that this aversive stimulus is on its way and contingent on a response, you avoid it. Yep. And so I thought, hey, why don't we talk about punishment in the same way? We can have like the escape type and the avoidance type of punishment. And the escape type of punishment would be you have an appetitive stimulus in place and contingent on response is removed. But the avoidance type would be like this good thing is going to come. There's something that indicates that this appetitive stimulus is on its way, on its way and contingent on response. You lose the opportunity to access it. And I was like, wow, this is what a DRO is. So here I am thinking I just like <laughs> came up with this idea on my own and I was going to um, write up a conceptual paper. And uh, while I was actually writing it and reading more on the topic, I find out, of course, I'm not the first one to think about this. Um, <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> so there went that idea. You know what I love the most about this so far is that, uh, you know, I, I think this explains why you are in academia and you, you know, produce research, uh, you conduct research, uh, because the rest of us are over here worried about what we're going to have for lunch later today. And you're sitting there worried about like, why does a DRO work? Like, I, I really like, this is bothering me. So I, I think that says a lot about you and <laughs> what you find interesting and what you think about. So I, I really like that. You know, I actually love that you contacted me about this study because I obviously find it so interesting, but it brings me so much joy to hear that other people do too. <laughs> but it's not just like self You're not the only activity. nerd. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's nice to see that there's interest um, outside of my um, immediate group. So yeah, so then I decided, okay, well, like the next step, of course, is to empirically address this you know there aren't much data out there to give us the answer to this and so why don't we um, find out how this works I'd really want to know and uh, as I was writing up my research protocol I ended up for some reason I was at some conference and Tim Bulmer was presenting and I don't remember <laughs> any of the details but I do remember going up to him afterwards and bringing up this topic about like you know this you know, how I was going to explore this further. And he encouraged me to reach out to um, some other researchers who had already a paper in Java and press looking at the same thing. So it turns out that, um, turns out that Josh Jessel um, and John Guerrero and Jessica Beecraft had already conducted a study looking at this very question. And the question was, 
two DRO schedules reinforce other behavior, as the name implies. The name implies that this schedule is differentially reinforcing some other response. Um, so is that really happening? And I'll admit, at first, I was extremely disappointed. <laughs> Second time already that I have this, like, <laughs> pursuing this idea. And it's, um, you know, and someone else has already done it. But yeah. Uh, no one ever answers all the questions in one research study, so I, I did find it, that it was an opportunity to extend on that research. And so what they found, they used um, a human operant study, just like I did, and they um, used uh, procedures to look at whether GRO schedules, you know, do result in more other behavior than um, extinction and fixed time schedules or NCR. And they found that DRO schedules actually did increase other behavior more so than um, these other schedules. And we, we were able to um, like replicate and extend upon that study. And we published that as like a systematic replication. And for the most part, for the most part, we found similar results. And then this study that we're talking about today was an opportunity to extend that further. That's really cool. And it's it's a pleasure to be able to talk to someone who's done so much research, not only your own research, but looking into this. I, I you know, have so many questions about this. This is going to be good. Uh, and so talking about like some of these other studies that have been done uh, and uh, that have found that, you know, ex why do DROs work? Uh, in this article, you explain that there are three uh, behavioral processes that have been identified uh, as, you know, part or uh, the reason why the DRO procedure is working. Uh, and, and those are, so extinction. Um, so, you know, maybe the DRO works just because if they engage in the behavior, they don't receive reinforcement for it during the DRO procedure. Uh, negative punishment. Uh, you talked about that one a bit, that you know, they, they engage in the behavior and then their access to this preferred item is delayed. And so, yeah, that's, that ap appears, okay. you know, topographically to be a negative punishment procedure. Um, and, you know, this, this last one that you're looking at with this article is adventitious reinforcement. And so uh, what, what is that talking about? Yeah, so in adventitious reinforcement, uh, you have reinforcers that are presented contiguous to some response, meaning close in time, but they're not contingent, so there's no dependency. The response didn't produce this reinforcer, but because they're contiguous, the response is reinforced anyway. It, occur, it starts to occur more often, right? The reinforcer increases the feature frequency, although the reinforcer was unrelated to the response. Um, so that's what adventitious reinforcement is. You can think of it as like coincidental or accidental reinforcement. And uh, Skinner talked about it, um, like it, he talked about it in, in relation to superstitious behavior. He'd say that adventitious reinforcement results in superstitious behavior, you know. Um, so in how does this relate to the DRO? Well, in DRO, um, the hypothesis for adventitious reinforcement is that these reinforcers in the DRO are presented when the problem behavior is not occurring and whatever other behavior is happening at that time is being adventitiously reinforced. So all these other behaviors are happening when the reinforcers are being presented are being reinforced 
they're increasing so much so that they are driving down the problem behavior almost um, like indirectly, right? So the problem yeah. behavior goes down in a zero indirectly because these other responses are competing with it. They're increasing and competing with it. And these other responses have to, presumably are, are um, incompatible. So I guess you can think of this, this hypothesis is, is conceptualizing the DRO as some like chaotic DRI, right? Yeah, yeah. And so in this experiment or these two experiments that, that you did, uh, you were mainly like you, you did look at extinction, uh, but you were mainly like focused on, you know, is adventitious reinforcement occurring here? Is that, is that safe to say? Right. So the purpose of the study was to focus on the adventitious reinforcement hypothesis specifically, and anecdotally, it seems to be the most widely accepted hypothesis among applied behavior analysts. Um, I don't have data to support that. That's just like anecdotal experience and conversations and, and posts that I see. And I, I think that's, that's what I've seen too. So Yeah. Um, and it might be because that's just what the name implies. Differential reinforcement of other behavior implies that that's what's happening. So maybe that's why um, it just seems to be the most popular explanation for this procedure. Um, and that's what we focused on. And, and then we used two control procedures to control for behavior, for other behavior that increases for other reasons. So the extinction control looked at um, looked at any other behavior that might increase as a result of extinction-induced variability. So when a behavior goes on extinction, um, you often part, you often see that like there's um, it. It, the extinction procedure evokes variability in responding. So it might be that other behavior increase during the DRO due to like some sort of extinction burst. Um, so that's what the extinction condition was controlling for. Oh yeah, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And we're going to get to the, the condition, uh, the different conditions here. I want to back up so, so that our yeah. listeners can kind of visualize what you were doing here in the experiment. So uh, I, I really liked this. Uh, I understand you used a video game for your participants. Is that right? You ma did you make a video game? Huh. Right. It was a computer game. And I say game. I loosely use the term game because it's actually extremely boring. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, when I originally wanted to go about this, I, want, I, was gonna, I was planning on using children with autism as our participants, actually, and doing a, a very different setup. But um, after... Uh, Jessel et al. published their study, I decided that, you know, to kind of use their procedures to extend upon the work. So I used the same uh, computer game that they used in very similar setup. And uh, Josh Jessel, who's the first author in that paper, was kind enough to share that uh, computer game with me. And then uh, we modified it to make the modifications that we needed to for our, for our study. So did you have to learn how to do computer coding to, to do this study? Uh, fortunately, one of my co-authors, Koshi Kuroda, was able to do that for me. So I did not. Oh, good. Yeah, I did not learn too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so walk us, what did this game look like so that we can visualize this? Yeah, so this game was, it was just consisted of 
you know, it had two squares on the screen, one on each side. One square represented what we would consider the problem behavior or the target behavior. And the other square represented all other behavior that could occur. And, and then participants were just kind of given the instruction that the point of this game is to get as many points as possible. And we gave them money prizes for getting the most points. And I told them we were, you're competing against other participants, basically. Um, and that was to ensure that these points would function as reinforcers. I was just going to say that. So you had the two squares. There were two squares, right? And and how did they differentiate between the, you know, the target response and the not non-targeted response? So was uh, my understanding is it was always on the same side. Is that right? Yeah. So the, exactly. So one, they were different colors for one. And oh, okay. They, they, there's a red square and a blue square. And then also they stayed within the right or left side of the screen. Although they did move around. Every time you clicked on one, it disappeared, reappeared on a different part of the screen. But it stayed in its remain in its specific side. And got it. The, so how the the way that they got points was different depending on what contingency was in place at that time. But they weren't given instructions as to like what contingency was in place. The participants just kind of had to figure it out. So during the baseline phase, what did that look like? So during baseline. They would, um, they, the participants would receive points that would show up at the top of their screen um, about every five times that they clicked on the target response. So it was on a VR5 schedule. And then the other square never got points. And there were no contingencies uh, arranged around that other response, other, yeah, the other response or the other square. And that was the same um, for during all conditions. Another thing to mention okay. is that. Yeah, the target response was the same square for each session, but it did alternate across sessions. So, um, so during the first session, maybe the target response was the red square, but then during the second session, it would be the blue square. So they did alternate, actually. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and so, yeah, they're on this VR5 schedule. I imagine they picked up pretty quick on it, didn't they, you know, with a, with a VR5 schedule? They did. Yep. Mm -hmm. For the most part, they did. Okay. And each phase, uh, was it five minutes? I'm trying to remember from the article. How long did they have during each phase or each session? In in the first experiment, there were um, seven five-minute blocks of time. Uh, we call them components. Okay. And yeah, and each component was five minutes exactly. Good. Okay, so each component is five minutes, and you go from like a, a VR5, and then you're comparing the effects of the VR5. Uh, I imagine you always started with the VR5, right, to kind of build up the target behavior, and then you can see the effects of extinction and see the effects of a DRO. Is that your methodology here? That's right. So some blocks of time were just VR the entire time, and then other times the there would be this unsignaled switch in the contingency. They start off with one minute of the VR5 baseline, and then it's, the contingency switches to either extinction, DRO, or the yoke DT. And there is nothing to indicate that there was a change in the contingency, except for, of course, the contingency itself. Can I, can I just say that if I was playing a computer game and... <laughs> 
the rules changed like that during the game, I would be so frustrated. <laughs> they're, they're, they're at first, you know, they, they're kind of getting at, Oh, I just have to click on this square a bunch of times. And then I get points. Like I can do this super fast. And then suddenly without warning, it's like, Oh wait, I'm not getting points. What am I doing wrong? Am I like not clicking fast enough? Am I like, did they change? Which one is the target behavior? Like what is going on here? Um, and as someone who does not play a lot of video games, uh, I guess that's kind of how I already feel when I try to play video games. So I, <laughs> yeah. I guess I can kind of see how they feel. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think I find that frustrating as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, walk me through this. What, what were some of the ro- results that you, well, I guess before we get into that, uh, so you're alternating between extinction, uh, and a DRO, uh, component, uh, as well as a VR five component. Uh, and is that the same for both experiments? What was the difference here between the two experiments? So in the first experiment, um, the different probes, we call the, the probes, um, or the experimental conditions after baseline uh, consist of DRO, of course, that's what we're primarily interested in. And then we have two control conditions. We have the extinction condition. And as I mentioned before, the extinction condition control for any extinction-induced variability. So increases in the other response as a result of like the extinction contingency, uh, you know, just trying different things because what you were trying before is no longer working, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the VT, the VT condition was, is like non-contingent reinforcement condition, basically. So points were delivered uh, independent of responding and they were yoked to the time in which they were delivered during the DRO condition. So if during the DRO condition, there was a point delivered at second 15 and then at second five, you know, at second, I don't know, 20 and then, you know, whatever it is, they got the same distribution of points at the exact same time during the VT session. Um, but it was response independent. So the resp- the behavior had no effect on point delivery. So during and, the yoked VT condition, you matched how often they received reinforcement during the DRO condition, but delivered the reinforcement non-contingently. Is that right? That's exactly right. So we're matching both the rate of reinforcement, also the distribution of reinforcement. The only difference is the contingency, and that's what we're really primarily interested in. And this was controlling for any adventitious reinforcement that could occur during non-contingent reinforcement, right? So, uh, like, you know, it's kind of interesting that we don't conceptualize, as a field, we don't conceptualize NCR and DROs the same. Um, For some reason, there is this there is this assumption that DRO schedules are more likely to adventitiously reinforce other behavior than NCR. Uh, so when we talk about NCR procedures, we don't talk about adventitious reinforcement as being the primary mechanism that decreases the problem behavior. We might talk about NCR functioning as like an, an abolishing operation for the reinforcer, um, maybe uh, computing stimuli, but we don't talk about it as like decreasing the problem behavior because it's adventitiously reinforcing these other responses that are occurring. That is fascinating. And it's, yeah, that, that is really interesting. I've, I've never really conceptualized NCR that way. I've always known, like, I don't like the name of NCR, 
but I've never right. really considered the 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 uh, adventitious or yeah the adventitious reinforcement component there to the to the NCR. That's very fascinating. Right. So when we talk about NCR and adventitious reinforcement, we may talk about it as a side effect, but never the primary principle that is like you know driving down that problem behavior. So. It's, so anyway, so, there, so though no one explicitly said this, not that I know of, there is some implication. It's, it implies that for some reason, the DRO contingency, it makes uh, other behavior more susceptible to adventitious reinforcement. So that's what that was controlling for. It was just, you know, adventitious reinforcement that could occur, for, you know, under any condition in which reinforcers are presented uh, non-contingency non-contingently versus is there something special about the DRO contingency? Is there something about that negative contingency that makes other behavior uh, more susceptible to reinforcement? And uh, also when I say negative contingency, you can think of contingencies as like being a part of continuum. On the one end, you have the strongest positive contingency in which every response results in a reinforcer and every reinforcer is delivered uh, contingent upon a response. And then, and so you have this perfect positive correlation between the response and reinforcers. And then all the way at the other end, you have a negative contingency in which there is a negative correlation between responding and reinforcers, right? And that's what a DRO is. That's, that's really interesting to conceptualize it that way. And, and with your study, uh, you were able to kind of com- compare the effects of these uh, different uh, you know, components here. So uh, break it down for me. What were the results? We did find that DRO schedules increased other behavior more so than the VP and extinction, but much less so than in prior studies. Um, and the difference between the study and prior studies is that the duration of the DRO was longer. And the other studies that I mentioned earlier, the, the time, if the exposure to the probes is only one minute, so the baseline was four minutes, and then there was a one-minute exposure to the to the contingency extinction DRO and VT. And in this study, we extended the probe. So instead of doing four minutes baseline, one-minute probe, we did one-minute baseline, four-minute probe. So that's why we call this long-duration DRO, although four minutes is not very long at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here we found that the DRO... Uh, DRO probes resulted in much less adventitious reinforcement of the other behavior compared to the other studies, although it did result in more than the VT and extinction, but only half of the participant uh, behavior was adventitiously reinforced during the DRO. And out of those half, the majority, uh, the other behavior decreased uh, across sessions. So it increased most at first, and then it decreased across sessions so that uh, the adventitious reinforcement that did occur for half the participants during the DRO did not sustain for the most part. So uh, my next question is, do you plan on studying that? What's your, what's your next move here? I'm actually interested in seeing what happens if we have multiple other response options. In this study, we only had two response options. We had a target response and one other response that was supposed to uh, represent all other behaviors that could possibly occur. But in the natural environment and in clinical settings, the other behaviors that could be, you know, occurring when reinforcers are presented are 
really unlimited, right? Oh um, yeah, there's you know they're doing so many different things during that uh, DRO period there. So uh, I I didn't even think of that that you were only adventitiously reinforcing one other response. Right, and so our setup really stacks the deck towards finding an adventitious reinforcement effect, really. Um, And my, I suspect that it is unlikely that we even get these initial effects in the natural environment when there are so many other behaviors that could be occurring because it decreases the likelihood that the same response is going to be happening every time that a reinforcer is presented. Um, So it decreases like the number of reinforcers any particular response gets making it less likely that it's increasing at such a rate that is like driving down the target response or the problem behavior. Yeah. So let me, let me summarize a little bit of this here for you and and let me know if, if this sounds okay. The, uh, your study, you know, it supports that a DRO is effective. It can be more effective, uh, you know, than extinction. Um, and, what we don't know is what are the behavioral processes at play here. And, and this study found that uh, adventitious reinforcement wasn't necessarily the relevant component making it effective. That's and, exactly you know, right. We, we, need, we need to keep, keep looking for, like, what are these behavioral components here to a DRO procedure uh, to, to, so that we know how a DRO works. The... Uh, the, the name differential reinforcement of other behavior, you've said this earlier on this on this episode, is that uh, the the name implies that we are adventitiously reinforcing other behavior, and that's, you know, why this works. Uh, so do you, uh, and, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but would you, if it was up to you and you could, you know, rewrite all the textbooks, would you rename DRO? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we well, you know, it, and it's not me. I didn't coin this term, but omission training is another is another term for DRO. And as a matter of fact, in, in a recent uh, paper that um, we wrote for for JAB on relapse and DRO, that's what we called it. We we called it omission training or an omission contingency because it's more accurate and it doesn't. It's you know. DRO is really a misnomer, just like NCR is. Yeah, yeah. And it, it puts it on the same level, like almost the same meaning as a DRA and DRI when, you know, the behavioral processes at play are completely different. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of takeaways that, that I, can, I can use for this. One is uh, DROs do work. I, I don't know if you've seen this, but there is this attitude in the field of like DROs are, are frowned upon. And I think part of that is we don't understand the uh, behavioral processes at play. Um, but, you know, they're still widely used and, and we know that they work. And so that's okay. Like we can, we can do that. And we're still on the lookout for more research on uh, why a DRO works. So um, Dr. Ray, is there, are there any other takeaways or any other thoughts you have about uh, DROs or about this study? Yeah. I guess I wanted to just comment on, on, you know, what you said. It's true that DROs seem to be frowned upon. I agree with that. And I'm not uh, promoting them or, you know, saying people shouldn't use them. I'm just trying to explore them further. And I think that's important because, as you said, they are often used. It seems to be 
um, like a last resort. Like we've tried these other things and we don't really know what's going on and let's see if this works. <laughs> this is again, anecdotal. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's almost uses a default technology that like we fall back on because you don't have to know the function. That's exactly right. You don't have to use a function if you're not using a function based CRO. So I guess my thoughts are if you're hoping that your DRO procedure is like reinforcing other more appropriate behaviors, um, you're probably wrong. Like that's probably not happening. <laughs> and <laughs> so first of all, you might want to go to a DRA or that's something. That's exactly right? right. I mean, so first of all, like even if it did result in adventitious reinforcement, um, there's no saying what other behavior is going to be reinforced, right? It could be reinforcing some other random idiosyncratic behaviors that, you know, can just be weird. You know, I don't see why you would, <laughs> like for me as a, as a clinician, it's a relief that DROs aren't at, like randomly reinforcing these other behaviors that are happening. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's especially dangerous if, you know, you have a client who engages in other dangerous behavior and they could still you know, uh, receive reinforcement after engaging in a different dangerous or inappropriate behavior if it wasn't the target behavior. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. If you are concerned about the ethical implications of punishment, that might be you know something to think about uh, considering that the study um, is indicating that it, you know, it's likely the case that there's a punishment component that's that's happening, even though we didn't we didn't investigate punishment directly. Uh, you know, it kind of indicates that it's probably there's probably that's probably what's happening. So what we understand about punishment is that you want to use a continuous schedule of punishment when you're first implementing it, then an intermittent schedule. So uh, yeah. a momentary DRO would be an intermittent schedule of punishment because some responses delay reinforcement and some don't. Whereas in, like, if you were doing a whole interval resetting DRO, each response further delays the reinforcer, meaning that there's a contingency for every single problem behavior response that occurs. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. When you conceptualize it as negative punishment, it kind of changes the way, the approach to make it more effective. So Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that, you know, if you want to make the DRO more effective, and this might seem common sense to some people, but do whatever you can to make that contingency um, discriminable, right? So do things, it's, it's a very difficult contingency to identify, I think, because, you know, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, there is no nothing there. <laughs> and then contingent on the target response, there's still nothing there. There's no immediate consequence for engaging in some problem behavior. And yeah. so like the delay to the reinforcer is something that you have to um, learn about over time. Um, but it's not immediately obvious that that's what's happening. Um, and the longer the session, the longer the delay of reinforcement. So uh, you know, if you have a 30 second DRO procedure that might look different than a, than a 10 minute. You're right. Right. So I would say that shorter intervals are probably easier to discriminate than longer intervals. Um, you could, you could probably 
figure out that contingency much easier with shorter DRO intervals. Um, and then if there's anything that you can add to your DRO to magnify, you know, what the contingency is, whether it is like a verbal stimulus, you know, kind of saying, hey, you you are going to have to wait longer or maybe a timer, something that indicates that there is a consequence for that response to mediate that delay. Um, similar to, you know, delayed reinforcement, you know, so it's like just using stimuli to help highlight what the contingency is. Yes. I, uh, I think these recommendations are amazing because, uh, like we said before, the, um, using a DRO as a default technology of going back to, if we can't have any other options, uh, people kind of oversimplify the DRO and just kind of, uh, you know, don't even think about all of these different variations that you can make to make it more effective. And so all of these like recommendations that you just made based on, you know, the findings and the research, these, this is very valuable for practitioners to be able to use and, and use their clinical judgment in adjusting their DRO procedures to meet the individual needs of the client. I definitely, after this conversation, uh, have a better understanding of DROs. So I'm very grateful to you for, for coming on the show and uh, going over this with me because I, uh, yeah, I think I needed this. I do want to thank my co-authors, Allison Beth, Andressa Flanen, Toshi Kuroda, and Chris Podlesnik. You can't do research by yourself. It takes a team, right? That's exactly right. And I had an amazing team.